This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker uses science and technology to deliver ultra personalized guidance based on blood biomarkers that span from cholesterol to inflammation and more. Inside Tracker presents you with an action plan of food, lifestyle, exercise, and supplement recommendations to optimize your health and help you reach your goals. So, I recently had my blood work done with Inside Tracker. I did the ultimate test and Got to see what I was opt- where I was optimizing and where I needed a little bit of work on different areas in my own life. One area I need to work on particularly a little bit is my iron. And I wouldn't know that had I not had Inside Tracker to the rescue. Now, you all can save this weekend. They have a huge Black Friday promo going on. This is their best sale of the year. You can get $200 off the ultimate test their most comprehensive and best-selling test of 43 biomarkers. The ultimate package at the ultimate price for the ultimate version of you. So use the code CHEERS, all have another, all caps, no apostrophe, to get $200 off the ultimate test. And that's all one word. That's CHEERS, all have another, all caps, no apostrophe, all one word. Go to insidetracker.com. This sale ends on Monday, December 2nd at midnight Pacific time. Links to that will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, friends, today you're listening to episode 211 and I'm talking with Dina Evans. Dina is a running coach. She's the mother of two. She's a soccer mom and a passionate runner herself. She recently completed her sixth star in the Abbott World Marathon Majors. And as an athlete herself, she played both soccer and ran track in college for Stanford. Now she still coaches and is heavily involved with her daughter's playing soccer. She is a name many people know in the running scene. She served on the Stanford Track and Cross Country staff where she earned NCAA Women's Cross Country Coach of the Year honors in 2003 when Stanford won the NCAA Division I championship. She's coached some of the most well-known names in the sport, including Sarah Hall, Melinda Elmore, Lauren Fleshman, and Alicia Vargo. One of my listeners, Mimi, is coached by Dina and has been nudging me to have her on the show for quite some time, and I'm so excited that we finally made this happen. Dina is currently the club director at the Peninsula Distance Club, and in her spare time, she's watching her daughters play lots of soccer. All right, before we get started talking with Dina, if you haven't already done so, if you would consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, I would really, really, really appreciate it. It's one of the best ways potential new listeners can find the podcast. And if you're looking for a new show to try out, check out the Illuminate podcast and the Up and Running podcast, both in the Sandy Boy Network. All right, friends, let's enjoy my conversation with Dina Evans. Well, today on the podcast, I am excited to have Dina Evans on the show. Welcome to I'll Have Another, Dina. 
Thanks, Lindsay. Glad to be involved. Yeah, you are someone that I've wanted to have on the show for a while, and I feel like we've been in email communication for, what, like over a year now, and we're finally we're making at, it well, happen. several months at least, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Dina, you are a coach, and you've coached some of the women that I've talked to on the podcast, including Sarah Hall, and I'd love to kind of just dive right into your journey as as a coach in the, in the running industry? Uh, sure. Yeah. So coach is kind of funny thing to get involved in. And I think in my case, I kind of came to it almost through the back door. Uh, and I'm sometimes daily still surprised that I'm involved with it. I grew up doing a bunch of different sports and, um, throughout high school. And then I came to college, uh, and I did, I did soccer in the fall and then track in the spring. And I always was kind of, I always considered myself to be kind of an athlete who happened to do these sports versus say a soccer player or a basketball player or a runner. Um, I was involved in middle school in a program that was an alternative PE program, which I've talked about in a couple different contexts before where um, we did a lot of really kind of, I use the word crazy, but I don't mean um, just because it's outside of what typically is, is done we ran half marathons. We did something that was near Seattle. We ran from our hometown to Tacoma. It was 29 miles in one day. There was, um, you know, a group each summer that our teacher would take on like very long bike rides, including, you know, back in the seventies, she would take kids all the way across the U S um, you know, on like 10 speeds, you know, to, <laughs> to Washington DC. Um, there were, you know, challenges with hikes and triathlons and canoeing around, you know, like different things. And so that was kind of um, a really uh, formative part of my background because it was, um, we did even like things like stilts. We walked up like three quarters of a mile up a hill on stilts. And if you fell down, you had to go back to the beginning and do it again. So like all these middle school kids doing all this, like, it was okay, we'd play games in the wood. Anyway, but there were a lot of challenges that really had to do with persistence and um, didn't have a, a ton to do with time. Um and that was kind of a really important part of my understanding of the, you know, how to kind of shape an understanding of what is success in uh, running or athletics in general. So that, you know, really strong sense of, you know, you wait for your teammate, you always giving somebody a high five, you're always telling somebody good job. And even while you're pursuing your own personal challenge. And um, also there's the idea that you, you can always finish like, um, she would really challenge us. Our teacher, Fran Call, would always really challenge us not not to walk, not because of um, no, that sounds kind of rough, but it's more a question of you know staying in the game, you know, and staying persistent. And she didn't. It wasn't a question of how fast she ran. It was a question of can you stay running, even at, like what she would call grandma shuffle pace, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and so that was a really important um, thing for me, and I think for a lot of folks who are in that program, it's called it was called outdoor fitness. I say that because then going into high school was kind of more of a traditional, you know, you're going for your league championship or you're going for, the, you know, like uh, traditional types of goals, state championship, things like that that you would do in all these various different sports, plus some club sports and collegiate athletics where that was certainly the case in the NCAA system. But those middle school experiences and that kind of background definitely kind of stuck with me. So after college, um, I kind of described it as like I did track last. So that was kind of last, last ups. So I just kind of stayed with that, you know, um, and uh, I did a, um, a master's in education just during my fifth year and spent a lot of time in the Stanford track office uh, working 
during that during that master's program um, and deciding that I was like doing all these kind of grunt jobs like preparing for the Stanford Cross Country Invitational or doing this and that and I just the whole time was like I'm never gonna do this this is rough you know track coaching is super tough but lo and behold after a little bit of teaching and a couple of other different um uh adventures including living in Indianapolis uh, oh really yeah we get that's a whole other side story yeah um returned back to it um when there was an opening and um then had several years uh coaching uh, for the Stanford track and field program which was great we had a lot of success learned a ton you know when I decided to step away from that I wasn't sure what was going to happen I did a lot of different other things part-time I did a lot of event management I wrote a white paper on some stuff related to um, females and coaching I did um, a bunch of work with the Stanford Center on Ethics and went in the Stanford Center on the Legal Profession and different with the Bay Area Women's Sports Initiative so a lot of kind of advocacy you know servicey type pursuits and then kind of over a couple of years, just got back involved with coaching and formed a club. And that has somehow stuck with me. I had a camp for five years and somehow here I am still coaching people, mostly post-collegiate runners in their 20s, but definitely, you know, recreational athletes, uh, master's athletes, and uh, occasionally, you know, I'll help some high schoolers over the summer, over the winter, if they don't have a formal program from their high school and they want some extra help, but yeah. Do you have other coaches on your staff now or is it just you? You know, we are really fortunate to have um, a gentleman by the name of Sean Smith who helps us with our strength and conditioning, which and he's the coach at Notre Dame to Nemur down the road and Belmont at a D2 school. And he's got a background um, working with, uh, you know, that, you know, education in that area. And he's a good coach and it's hard to find somebody, you know, this is not a very lucrative endeavor. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, and it's really, really, really hard to wrangle um, post-collegiate athletes who live in different places and who, you know, kind of aren't on scholarship um, to convene for, you know, organized strength and conditioning um, activities that um, are, you know, can be that difference towards just doing a bunch of running and not necessarily seeing the success you want and then hopefully making a next step um, or staying away from injury. And, and he's been a real asset to us. Um, over the last couple of years, even though we've tried a bunch of different things, it's been a really hard task to get that going, but we're grateful to have his involvement. Um, but the, the running coaching, I typically do myself, although not everybody in our club is coached by me. I, I'm not really, you know, something I'll say to people when they join is, you know, if you've had some, your, your college coach is, you are still jiving with them and, or, you know, you want to go back and your high school coach is somebody that you really jive with you know, obviously integrate in as you can with us, but I'm not going to sit here and say that I know that 12, 400s is absolutely mm. the best for you rather than 13 or 11, you know, um, usually, uh, there's nothing too much new under the sun. You know, a lot of times we can find common goals, but I, I, I think that sometimes it's very, it's not, it's counterproductive sometimes when people are like, well, you can only be a part of this if you do every single thing that I alone tell you. Um, I think where we're at, um, my goal is to keep people involved however I can and um, to give them, hopefully, uh, provide a, a pathway for them to do or springboard to do their best, whatever that is, or to, you know, achieve goals that they've left undone so far. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that I have to tell them every single thing to do in order for that to happen. Yeah. Okay. So this is the Peninsula Distance Club, right? Yep. Okay. How many people are in, in your club? 
Um, our, our roster is usually around 40 to 45. You know, okay. at any one time, we have a variety of people who are in different stages of involvement um, or act- activity, you know, and that's and also a wide range of, you know, we have folks who sometimes race infrequently, um, you know, marathoners and such, and other folks maybe who are more middle distance people and maybe, you know, kind of year round, they're doing 5K road races and mile road races and track events. Um, but we, you know, we have people compete in all these different disciplines, but we don't necessarily, I, I, again, uh, you know, our two rules are train for something and be cool, mm. you know, be about something um, and don't be a jerk while you're doing it. I love so, that. So I, uh, we don't have a ton of, of hard and fast rules. I'm not saying they're saying you have to run these five races in order to, in mm. order to get this or that, the other thing, because ultimately um, I want them to do what they want to do, you know, and, and uh, as a coach, or even if I am not writing a, a day-to-day plan for them, I just want to be, you know, a value add. And I want the club to be a value add to what they're doing. Mm. You know, uh, the club itself doesn't have any particular agenda other than to be, you know, to help be a catalyst for progress for the people within it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's kind of the, the stance that I take on that. Yeah, I love that. You're a value add to them. They need to be a value add to you, the program, not you personally, but like the track club. Well, um, they need to be a value add to each other in order to, yeah. get, you know. Yeah, if they can't, that would be the, that would be the the goal. And most people, I find that leave the collegiate system here, particularly Americans. We have our fair share of international athletes that um, come for a time or longer and um, are involved, and uh, and that's awesome. Uh, but you know, American athletes growing up through the system, you know, it's a very team, 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 team culture in high mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm. in college, and then you kind of get dumped off at the bus stop of post-collegiate distance running. And it's hard to, um, you know, I mean, opportunities to kind of find team are, are precious. So, um, you know, we try to find some of that. It's, it's difficult because again, you know, we're living a busy, there's lots, the Bay Area is not a place with a shortage of things to be up to. And it's not necessarily an easy place to cover distances. And it's not uh, a very, you know, cost-friendly place to live. And it's a very transient place to live. People uh, oftentimes come here and don't stay forever. So uh, these are all issues at play. But uh, where we can find common ground and be something that's greater than the sum of its parts, you know, that is that would be the the goal. Yeah. So you're you're working with a lot of post collegiate athletes who don't necessarily go pro, but they still want to compete competitive compete at a higher level. Are you? Are, is your club sponsored by anybody? Well, first of all, I'd back up and say that I think we have a really fraught relationship in the running community with this word pro. Okay. You know? Talk, talk like, more. Tell me more. Well, I, th- I think that, um, you know, some people feel like, well, if I don't have a spot, if I don't have like a contract, mm. I just can't do this. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a million examples of people who, who are very successful, who, you know, um, who don't have everything paid for, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, there's a there's a certain level of choices you can make when you do not have to worry about anything else. But there's also, um, if you're not at the knocking at the door of Olympic glory, um, you know, there, I know a lot of people who perform better when they do have something going on. Sure. We've definitely had times where people have say taken a year off of grad school or taken a year, uh, you know, kind of with a different direction professionally in order to pursue, you know, an Olympic trials year or something like that. And it hasn't always worked out um, the way that we would have planned. And reflecting back on that, I think sometimes 
um, it's hard to find the right balance of busyness for people who are used to being really busy. But listen, there are a lot of people who, I think professionalism is what we're aiming for in terms of the way that you handle yourself, handle yourself. Like if you want to be at say the very top level, there's a level of professionalism that you need to bring to what you're doing. Mm. That has really not a lot to do with how much you are paid. Sure. Or if you have a shoe company mm-hmm. on the front of your Jersey, mm-hmm. but I think we get the two things conflated a lot in this country, but then if you aren't sponsored by like a shoe company, then you're unsponsored. So like she did it, even though she was unsponsored. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, maybe her grandmother, you know, said, look, you can live in my basement. And like, you know, it's, <laughs> that's she has a part-time job. Her life is no more difficult than somebody who is, quote unquote, sponsored, earning very little money from a shoe company. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, um, but we have a weird, like, you know, you show up to a race and you look around and, yes. you know, you're like, oh, I want to be one of those people like with the, and um, it's just kind of a weird, we have like a weird thing with that in, in this country. And um and I say that having been a club that's, you know, for three years, we were, were sponsored by Brooks initially, and then for five years, we we're sponsored by New Balance, and then for four years, we we're sponsored by um, Strava, uh, to a company here in the area. And then this time around, we have kept our name, which is our original Peninsula Distance Club name from when we incorporated and became a 501c3, and, um, and then have taken on a kind of a powered by a sponsor um, called Ian um, and their parent company, Fendora. They are a cryptocurrency security firm, basically Bitcoin, safe transactions for virtual mm-hmm. currency and related things. Um, very Silicon Valley. But for me, um, I love it. I love also being a partner with Strava and, and all of that stuff, in part because, you know, we're kind of a bunch of nerds out here who <laughs> like running. And I love having a partner that is also emblematic of our area and what our area is about. And that's our area has a lot of that type of stuff going on. I also think it's really important to try when we can to bring new stakeholders to the table. It drives me nuts to think that there's like six guys, you know, who decide the budgets of various shoe companies who get to decide whether or not you're pro. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. You get to decide whether or not you're pro, just figure out a different way to do it. Yeah. You know? um, I've also figured out just from observing over the last 20 something years around this area um, particularly in different eras of the farm team um, back in the day, it's really hard, even if you had enough support to say, attract people from out of town to come here to train and do so with like income supplementation around here. If like your average, you know, two bedroom apartments, three grand a month or whatever, like me handing you $400 a month for rent <laughs> is not going to do it. Do you know no. what I'm saying? Like other places that would make a difference, but here it's a little bit good money after bad. Right. So, and you get a bunch of people who are dissatisfied with their life as they're living on bread, you know, and sleeping on the floor. I mean, I remember t- <laughs> people, <laughs> there was this place in this house that shall remain nameless in, um, <laughs> in San Carlos. And there was literally a closet called the bubble, you know, and some people would take turns renting out the bubble <laughs> as like a place where they would. Re- I mean, this is not like it's not something you do over the long term. And what we're looking for, obviously or just as a coach, what I would hope to, to foster are sustainable habits, you know, <laughs> like it's just not sustainable. Yeah. You so, can't sustain that living in the bubble. No. So <laughs> the approach that I've chosen to take is like, say, Hey, our niche is to work with people who are here for another reason. And there's plenty of those people. So we try to work with who 
who is here? People who are in grad school, people who have taken their first jobs um, or second jobs with their jobs, people Hmm. who have moved back after growing up here, and people whose significant others have dragged them here for their own grad school or their own job. And honestly, we don't recruit or do anything like that. People just reach out to us um, through our website or just, I get these calls. So-and-so told me to give you a call when I was moving to the Bay Area. My college coach said, hey, you should probably talk to Dina or, you know, saw somebody on a run at some other place. And they said, oh, you should look them up. And then, you know, we kind of hang out with them. And if it's a great fit, we move. Like, that's that's how it goes. I um, love that. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is that's a really, really long answer to your, your discussion about pros. So I guess to, in summation, um, I think pro is really about professionalism. Mm-hmm. And there's different gradations of that. And it has nothing to do with how much money you make. I mean, there's plenty of starving artists in the world who are pros at that. Very, very good. And don't see a lot of remuneration for their efforts, but they're extremely good at it. Um, and two, frankly, um, you know, you make 200 bucks in a road race, you're, you've been handed money for it. Who cares if it was from a shoe company or not? <laughs> right. Know? So uh, anybody who gets money for doing what they do is a pro to a certain extent. And three, um, I think that uh, what we're looking for here in life is like the achievement of goals and that doesn't necessarily need a particular moniker to happen um and there are obviously you know really lofty goals that one can achieve and most of the people who are doing those things are in the position where they can do that full time and occasionally we have people who do move on to that and that's and that's fine that's a that's a bonus that's an excellent thing um but uh anyway I haven't really answered your question at all. Just rambled no, on. No, you know, I like hearing that perspective and I have two follow-ups from that. One is that yeah. I once won a hundred dollars because I got third place in a really small marathon. So I guess Excellent. I was I was a pro that day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, but two, I, I like that you brought that up because I recently interviewed uh Sinead Diver, who placed fifth mm-hmm. in New York City and she's Australian. She's not sponsored. She works full time as an IT consultant and um there's no other way to describe her as profession than professional, you know, like she's a professional runner, but she is not sponsored. So I think that's a really good topic and point that you bring up. I think we shoot ourselves in the foot when we artificially make this pie really small, mm-hmm. like only like a shoe company is like the only one who can validate your legitimacy as a runner. Yeah. Um, obviously the support of shoe companies is wonderful. If you have it, maybe, maybe it's really restrictive, yeah. but it, you know, it could be something that's a great fit for you, but um, it's not, it shouldn't be. And I think there's no need for us as a sport to, um, to artificially kind of shrink that pie. And one of the things I enjoy doing, you know, both with our, our relationship with Ian and previously with Strava is, um, was partnering with things that have not previously partnered with running clubs and, you know, reminding people, Hey, there's a different way to do it, you know? Like, for instance, with our, our jerseys now, we have Ian's name on them. Well, our name is PDC still. Um, and the logo regulations are such that if we're not in Olympic trials or a world marathon major, we don't have as many restrictions. Mm-hmm. And I was previously thinking, oh, we've got to make sure it's like this and that, you know, because of Olympic trials. I'm like, well, Olympic trials happens. We have so few people who, end right. up, you know, like every other weekend of the year, <laughs> we're doing this, this other stuff. Who cares if we have, you know, like let's put that logo on, like, yeah, we'll cover it up if we need to, or get, you know, get a, get a you know, a fresh, 
fresh jersey for Olympic trials to make it conform. But like, yeah. let's not that let that restrict us for all these other weeks of the year when we could be, you know, um, providing value back to our sponsors. So totally. um, that's kind of the way I think about it. I was also reflecting with um, uh, someone today about I was I was bummed that for Club Nats last time it was in Lehigh a few years ago. I did the Christmas Classic Five Mile the morning of just to kind of do something fun. I wasn't competing myself. And um, I was describing a, a heated battle with a local CrossFit athlete, I think, <laughs> that I eventually lost. <laughs> and there's a woman, this little girl, right, 11 years old, runs up to me and hands me an envelope with crisp bills for 35 bucks for getting second place in this road race. And I was like, yeah. Yes, I love that. That's <laughs> um, awesome. So I don't know. Uh, you know. But obviously, I wouldn't consider myself a, a professional in the way that we conventionally think, and because I also wasn't running that race and wasn't using a lot of professionalism in my approach to that <laughs> race. But, but I do think it's more of a state of mind and a state of um, dedication and, and preparation versus a um, a dollar amount, because I think people would be shocked to know how little some of our professional runners actually make as contracts. Yeah, you know, so. All right, everybody, I'm going to take a quick break and thank a couple sponsors who are helping make this show possible. And the first is Aftershocks. Aftershocks is my go-to headphone of choice. They use a bone conduction technology so that you can hear your music or your podcast and still hear what's going on in the world around you. I feel safe when I run with these headphones and I feel like I can really hear my surroundings and still enjoy what I want to enjoy. No more tangled cords or anything like that. And when I'm not using the headphones, I just pop them around my neck and can just leave them there. It's super simple. They're easy to use. And the battery life is great. You all can get $50 off an endurance bundle when you go to another.aftershocks.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Again, go to another.aftershocks.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Hey, I wanted to let you all know, I've shared a little bit about Endevo Run, a really cool start to finish training program going on. It's starting this summer. They are opening up just their retreat. So you can do the start to finish training program, or you can just go to their organ retreat. The retreat is July 16th through the 20th. And when you use the code postcard, you can get $200 off your registration fee. So check out all they have to offer. It's a really cool program. Again, it's start to finish an entire training program personalized for you. And it kicks off with a retreat in Oregon. You can do just the retreat or you can do the start to finish program. That's endevorun.com. Use the code postcard at checkout to get $200 off your registration. All right, friends, let's continue my conversation with Dina Evans. Well, let's talk about the importance of having female coaches like yourself in the sport. Um, you know, it seems like a lot of coaches and leaders happen to be males. And um, I feel like it's been talked about a lot in the past, you know, like, oh, it's hard to leave your family because you're, tra- you know, college coaches specifically, like you're traveling, you're on the road. And um, for some reason, we have it set in our minds that it's harder for the moms to leave than the dads and, and this and that. Um, But I would just love to hear you talk about the importance of having strong female leaders in the sport. Well, it is really important. 
I mean, I think the events of the last couple of weeks have obviously brought that into very uh, stark relief. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that um, there are female coaches, including myself, who continue to learn and do better hopefully as we learn at what we're doing. So it's not like being a female suddenly absolves you of, you know, challenges in various areas. I think the main thing, and this has been borne out with studies in, in corporate environments, when you have women um, on corporate boards, profitability increases, you know, having a diverse set of viewpoints out there in whatever's going on, I think helps whatever industry that is grow and be productive. So um, I think from that standpoint, that it's, it's definitely um, important. There are a lot of structural things that have prevented this. I think that um, the NCAA just generally is kind of set up in a way that is not conducive to, um, to young parenthood generally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just relentless in the scheduling. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of fixed dates. And for a distance coach in particular, you have three seasons plus summer. If you have anybody who's doing well, it's USAs, it's other meets. Um, it's recruiting. Um, it's very relentless in terms of the set dates that you just can't, you know, work around. Um, and I had significant challenges, as many young moms do, you know, related to that when I had my kids. Um, and in particular, I think what you know, one of the challenges that's also set up is that in a lot of colleges, you you ha- don't necessarily have vacation time in the same way, and you can't really take it in the same way. Um, because NCAA kind of says you can only have a certain amount of people hired per staff. And um, I think that really makes it difficult to job share and do different things that you might find in other industries. Um, but you might not have vacation time because that's not the way that your university sets up your contract. So it's hard to kind of create a firewall where you, where your coworkers understand your, where you're coming and where you're going and where you know that you have the ability to come and go. You know, um, when I had my second daughter, I was very concerned that I was going to give birth to her before NCAAs and cross. So mm-hmm. I had like all these workouts planned out through <laughs> January, like before, <laughs> before NCAAs. Well, she lasted all the way till December 16th. And at that, that point I was like, well, let's go. Come on. You know? <laughs> so, um, uh, but I was back in practice on January 7th, you know, um, and I, ca- I had kind of a part-time schedule where, you know, in terms of my office work during that time, but I was in practice every day, you know, and traveling like kind of this convoluted, you know, the team would go up on Friday night to Seattle and I would just go on the first flight on Saturday with my, you know, seven week old daughter. And then my dad would come to the meet because he happened to live in Seattle. And then like he would kind of hold Elise while, you know, the crucial events were going on. Then I would like go nurse. I mean, it was like kind of nuts. I mean, like before she was three months old, my younger daughter had gone to, you know, Seattle three or four times you know, the armory in New York, Fayetteville, Arkansas, you know, then it was like, so it's kind of a crazy, like, it's just, a, it's just a, a challenging path. And, you know, several women since that time, of course, you know, walk that path. And um, I'm proud to call, you know, several of my friends and I try to encourage them as much as possible to stick with it. But it's, it's very difficult um, in part also because with distance running, the events are oftentimes in the evening. So what are you doing with a four month old kid when you've got the second heat of the 10k at 11 o'clock, you know, like, it's just if you don't have anybody to take care of that child, that child is with you. Is that a good thing for anybody involved? I don't know. But you can't really leave. I mean, you could, but it, you'd prefer not to. And that's, I think, the slight difference between moms and dads. You prefer not to, as a mom, if you're still nursing, to leave home a four-month-old kid for five days while yeah. you're off. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, um, it's just not the ideal way that you want to roll, you know? 
um, again, like who is that helping? So, uh, you know, there's just some structural challenges that make it really difficult. I think what's really important though, too, is for both females and males who have made it to a position of um, where they do have some uh, ability to influence others to take that seriously and, and encourage others along the path. I think, you know, Vinland Anna was, was important for me as he, he forced me to do some things as a very young coach, be involved with the cross country coaches association things like that from like my very first year. So that when he left um, one, I don't think it was a huge stretch for the administration to keep me on coaching the women's cross country runners um, because they'd seen that I'd done some actual stuff and not had just wasn't holding the stopwatch. And two, um, I had built some relationships with other coaches in other schools that allowed me to kind of operate, you know, with within that system in a way that I might not have otherwise if I would if he hadn't, you know, kind of taken the initiative and forced me kind of out of my corner um, to get involved with some things. So he had that ability because he had a lot of experience and clout. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. Um, and whether he was a male or a female is irrelevant. Right. I think that the question is just having somebody to kind of is to kind of, you know, to champion you to others as you're a young person coming up. And um, I think that doesn't happen quite as much for females. And, um, you know, it's not a question of females getting jobs. You can get a, a $12,000 assistant coach job. Um, the question is, who's going to, who's Pat Summit, you know, who's able mm. to fly on a private plane to go do recruiting so that you can get back in time to have your baby, you know, mm-hmm. like who, you know, who's got the ability to have the, um, the stability and the income and the institutional support to be able to have long lasting careers that span generations and, you know, create the continuity that create the success. There are very few um, female coaches who have won uh, track and field national titles as head coaches or cross country national titles as head coaches, far fewer uh, females of color um, track and field. We're at least blessed to have a couple in our past, but um, that is crazy considering how many outstanding females we've had in our sport speaking both distance and other event areas um and it's great to see things like the power five meet that uh usc is doing now like having um you know coaches for you know female coaches kind of highlighting that um who are directors of their own program and that number is growing which is awesome but um it's it's it uh it takes steps from those who have the influence to be conscious about it and give people the step up because it's very hard to get a job with which you can actually, you know, create that lifestyle that allows you to keep going because a $10,000, you know, assistantship in a, um, a non-division one school or something like that is not, uh, it, it makes it very difficult to continue on that path for a very long period of time, obviously. Yeah. It's so, not sustainable. Right. So yeah. it's not just the jobs. It's like, it's the good jobs. Yeah. You know? And to get the good jobs, you need good experience. And yeah. Or you need somebody to, to, to vouch for you. And so I think as females, it's really important for us to do as well. But I think men uh, uh, who are in that position, you know, want to encourage them to continue to do that for their outstanding females that they have coming up. Yeah. And and you're one of those those coaches. You guys won an NCAA title in 2003 with Stanford. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like as a female leader in the sport, you know, uh, the the coach that you mentioned, I know you're going to make fun of me for not knowing his name. What's his name? Vin. Vin, yeah. Um, 
Well, I know he's like super famous and everybody knows who he is. This is refreshing though. This is good. Okay. (laughs) But as a female coach who has, who, who did make your way into that and you did win an NCAA title and, um, you were coach of the year. Like, do you feel that you feel ownership in doing that then for other women and even male coaches that you want to just kind of like be a role model to? I try. I said, you know, not being in the collegiate system for now several years. Sure. Uh, you know, obviously don't have that kind of influence, but I have, you know, you know, there's some outstanding women who are, you know, out there. And if I have an opportunity, I definitely want to encourage them. You know, Dilji Taylor at BYU, Marisa Powell at Washington, two that come to mind as, as people that I feel like are, are bright stars in this, in this area and who I think deserve highlighting. Um, I know I'm, you know, missing others. There's obviously people in the post-collegiate world that, um, that are also doing a great job as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely feel, you know, I, I've suddenly found myself old. <laughs> <laughs> so it occurs to me after many years of being like the young type of person that I'm now like the old type of person and, uh, particularly with related to some of the USATF teams that I've been involved with lately. I remember saying out loud, I used to think about who are these old people getting, you know, appointed to these teams, you know, and now I'm one of the old people getting appointed to these teams. But um, so I'm, I'm definitely well aware of, um, well, I try to take advantage of opportunities to encourage others. And um, I try to, I try to make that a part of, a part of what I do. Yeah, it's it's it's, a, it's an interesting landscape, but I'm I'm definitely encouraged by how many women though are now in the position to um, take over as directors of men's and women's teams, and um, who are now coaching men and women, or just men, or just women. You know, just having that yeah. not be a big deal. You know, I think Amy Bagley is a great example of that at Atlanta Track Club. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've been coaching men for a lot of years myself, and um, you know, several others are out there. Obviously, it just shouldn't be that big of a deal. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you about, you know, this is such a timely thing with Mary Kane's article that came out and everything. And, um, I was recently listening to my friend Lauren Flores on, on her podcast, the up and running podcast. And she was just kind of talking about this, how women competing at the college level, um, at that time in their lives, a lot of times your body is still changing, um, and how for the short period of time you may slow down a little bit because you're, you're changing, um, but if you ride it out and you stay healthy and you feel proper to, properly, um, et cetera, that you can come out the other side stronger, faster, less prone to injury. So I guess my question with all that, and this is kind of coming off of the Mary Kane article and, and every it's in the forefront, everybody's talking about this, but as a coach of women in college, I know you're not coaching in college anymore, but you used to, um, what's, what's like a way that you can nurture that and walk through that in a healthy way with a young woman experiencing that? Well, a couple of things. One, um, I really feel like, uh, we in the, in the United States place a lot of attention on the collegiate, like this kind of high school athlete, gladiator, superstar, you know, Mm-hmm. flow track star and college thing and we kind of create this weird thing where like if you don't compete in college competitively it's kind of over mm-hmm. you know and maybe you'll go out and run some like you know charity 5ks and some you know 
rock and roll marathons, but maybe, you know, <laughs> you know, that's kind of like, if you can't make it and really that's, that's kind of crazy. People in other countries um, don't think of it that way. And the example that I've used before, and I will use again here because she's just a great example of this, is Melinda Elmore, okay, um, Canadian athlete. She was a successful club athlete. You know, they they don't really have a big emphasis on school related um, running, both in high school or uh, college, although it exists. It's just not the same like raw raw level that we do it here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she came uh, to Stanford, having you know been competed on the international level at the junior level for Canada, and run pretty quickly first year ish to two just an injury sandwich you know just had a really tough time um you know mistakes made all over the place on everybody's part um but then by the end of her second year um you know off a very very low mileage (laughs) plan of the story i was told about this is remember at the drake relays she literally warmed up by running in place on the high jump mat like that's the kind of stuff we would do (laughs) because we just were so I mean she was running like yardage it was like a swimmer um but uh so over time by the time she got to her fifth year she eventually um you know ran 410 in the 1500 and then the next year she transitioned back to her club coach in Canada and um with everybody's blessing and happy you know that was fine and great and she made the olympic team for canada mm. you know and it was a rough go in there for a couple of years a rough go um but i think in her perspective college was just something that she was doing to get an education mm-hmm. <laughs> for mm-hmm. a period of time during which she was going to run but it was only kind of one period in a long running career that she hoped to have and now she's you know she ran 232 last year she's run you know successful ironman triathlons and related you know she's she's kicking butt as a mom of two in her 30s um but if she had kind of you know had the referendum on her track career as a 19 year old Mm. it would she would have had a different outcome but in her mind and this is from the very first conversations i ever had with her to now it was this was just one step along a many step process of a long time running career and i find that folks in other countries um england's one that comes to mind have this perspective. And I think it's a helpful one um, for us here. So I think that one thing is to make sure that people see running as something that even if you have some big bumps in the road, it doesn't mean that, that you can't, you know, succeed down the road. There's, I know a ton of women who, you know, gosh, in college, you're like, Oh man, they're having a tough one injuries. And they come out there 26 years old. They're in the Olympic trials for the marathon, Mm -hmm. you know, and they got, they couldn't run 30 miles a week in high in college without, you know, breaking down. But now they're like, you know, running 238 or something like that in the marathon and um sometimes you just got to hang in there and so i think we need to encourage people like look this is a long process obviously college coaches have that pressure where they need to win you know in order to keep their job so Mm -hmm. that's kind of a counter pressure that's tough to deal with but as caretakers of humans um it's helpful to remember that this process is is long and their careers can be long and they hopefully can can keep hope with that and then two i think Anybody coming into a college environment has just had their whole life turned up on its head. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, any 18 year old is at a point of transition. I call it like hinge. And so, so much is changing about their lives. They're figuring themselves out for the first time. You know, what a war zone, you know, it's Mm -hmm. very hard to compete in that, in the midst of that. So I think difficult times would probably be expected rather than something to be surprised about. 
And I think keeping in context all the various different factors that come into play with running um, is helpful when considering why one aspect of that, whether it's weight or eating or something really in that family has kind of gone off the rails. There's a lot of different factors at play and all of those things need to be considered when considering how a person is doing overall, you know, and what might be the kind of the, um, you know, if antecedent is the right word, but you know, what's going on that's in the background here that's caused some visible manifestation to, to happen that we, that has caused us to, you know, stop the presses for a sec and, and evaluate what's going on. Yeah. And like what happens now, you know, like now that all this is, this has gone down and everybody's talking, everybody's writing some sort of post about this happened to me. And, you know, um, I guess the question is like, what can we do to support positive conversations around body image and, and whatnot with, with women at that, at that age. And I mean, any age, but like you were saying, when you're 18 and you're going off to college, like you're on a hinge, like that's a very critical time in your life. Yeah. I mean, I think just encouraging, I think, you know, people have things going on inside of them that they're not proud of, you know, thoughts that they're not proud of things that they're disappointed about that they don't want to share because maybe it uh, would reflect weakness or reflect something that should have gone better and hasn't. And I think, we need to make people feel comfortable that they can talk about stuff without judgment, you know? And I think this whole conversation is really important because um, I think it is encouraged. And I've said this on other uh, forums as well. Like sunshine is really important here. And just talking about things, a lot of problems, even if big problems um, can be dealt with in a healthy way, as long as they're being talked about, but things are kind of, shoved off into the corner and never dealt with can, you know, a lot of times end up being really problematic things, even if they start off as small things because they never were addressed. So I think uh, open communication and, and a realization on all sides that there's not, like I don't start a conversation thinking I alone know all the answers to mm-hmm. this person's problem, mm-hmm. you know, gr- pretty decent chance. I really don't know the majority of answers, you know, but what can we do to find those answers? You know, let's, let's have a dialogue. Let's evaluate what we're missing. Are there people who can help us in this situation? Certainly in the, in the context of a collegiate environment, you have more and more folks who are there Uh, post-collegially as we've has been obviously vividly illustrated, you know, you have a little bit of a patchwork of, of professionals involved. But just even the recognition that um, that there are different skill sets that different professionals have that can be brought to bear to help, you know, provide a team approach to help uh, a problem be solved or whether it's, you know, I just think about regular injuries, too. You know, like there's some oftentimes you, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose it. But I have a ton of experience. So certain things I'm like, hey, that sounds like this. But after three days, if it's not acting like that, we got to get somebody to, you know, to tell us more information about this thing so we can figure out how we can move past it, you know? And I think, um, the types of issues that, um, have come to the forefront, you know, through Mary's conversations with everybody and all the other, um, folks who have come forward with their, um, experiences, you know, we need to talk about things and realize that we don't necessarily have all the answers and be open to being vulnerable about that and, and, uh, being willing to work together to 
solve problems. I know a lot of people um, just feeling supported is like yeah. a huge piece of it, you know, like, you know, none of us are the finished product in our lives. Even, you know, as coaches, like, like I said, don't know all the answers, but sometimes people just want to feel supported and, and that's an important role that I think coaches can play. I agree. And, you know, I think that that support that you talk about is one of the really positive things that's already come out of Mary coming out and sharing her story, because think about the flood of response that she's gotten. And then, you know, it's creating this conversation with everybody else coming out and telling their story. So I think, yeah, it's a support thing. And to think that there was those years that she just felt so alone and unsupported. And if, if speaking out could have just changed that in the moment, um, you know, hopefully more people will continue to, to speak out because of, you know, what she's done now. What do you, how old are your daughters? I've got uh, two high schoolers, a senior and a sophomore. Okay. So what do you want them to believe about sport, not just running, but sport in general and chasing their dreams? And, and do you have those hard conversations about, about body image and about, I don't know, just believing in yourself and trusting that you're exactly who you were created to be? Yeah, for sure. Um, my kids are involved in soccer and involved heavily. <laughs> it kind of dictates <laughs> a lot of our time and sure. movements on a weekend to weekend basis. Um, and both have been playing at a high level, you know, and have aspirations to do so. And, you know, there's things that come up, but sometimes it's, it's difficult, you know, uh, you know, no one's a hero in their own hometown, obviously. So mm -hmm. as a coach, sometimes, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's hard to manage um, <laughs> just the amount of input given relative to, uh, I don't know, you know, it's just, it's, it's a difficult balance, but um, sure. But with regard to this issue, I think that, you know, what I've tried to um, encourage them is what they want is athleticism. You know, you want your body to be able to perform the way that you want it to perform. Mm -hmm. And so it's not necessarily about like, we don't really, we don't talk about numbers, certainly, but it's more a question of, you know, we do talk about, you know, I do, we talk about things like, um, you know, just making sure you're doing things like, like rolling and they have uh, their, their club is pretty far along these lines and has like, you know, a gym program and they do some stuff like ACL prevention and different things like that. And just basically paying attention to their bodies to make sure that's performing optimally whether that's, um, you know, what you put in it in terms of like for performance and then also how you treat it in terms of sleep and, um, you know, making sure that you've done enough preparation to be able to handle the tasks that you're trying to accomplish. So have you done the work to be able to do what you want to do, whether that's skill work or fitness work and or tactical work along those lines. And a lot of that's taken care of in their team context, but in other cases, um, for various other aspects of soccer that they've, you know, been shooting for, it's, it's been an individual pursuit as well. And so we deal a lot with that. And like any other, uh, high schooler these days, that's, it's a challenging balance, um, with schoolwork and sleep and recovery and all those things, time management. Um, so we spend a lot of time talking about those things, but in terms of body, I think that athleticism is the word that, um, that I, you know, would want them to, to stick with them. Can they, can they perform at a, at an optimum level for what they're trying to do? 
Yeah, are they um are they applying to colleges and and whatnot? I mean, your oldest is a senior. Does she already know where she's going? Well, she's had a, a story of a couple chapters. Um, <laughs> she she uh, was committed with one program, and then we've kind of had a, a, a some reconsideration about that. Nothing to do. That's fantastic program, um, but we have uh, had some reconsideration. A lot of factors. So she's kind of still in the middle of. Um, of that process, um, but um, has worked very hard in high school to put herself in a position to have some choices. So, um, you know, we will see the end of that story um, at some point this year. <laughs> but um, but she's doing great. And uh, my younger one uh, has had somewhat of an accelerated process. Um, I'm only saying this because it's, if you, you know, where to go on my daughter's Instagram feed, you'd see it. Um, and, and has actually the soccer is kind of a crazy sport where there's a lot of early commitments. And so mm-hmm. we've been swept up into that, but, um, a little bit, but at the same time, uh, I think it's important, especially as, you know, distance running is thankfully remained a little bit of a late breaking thing. I think that's probably the best. Um, but even in sports like ours in soccer, where, uh, these commitments happen early, you know, inside the walls of our house, it really has changed nothing day to day in terms of the expectation level of, you know, of doing your best, um, whatever that is, school and sports, um, you know, there's one, there's something that everybody thinks is happening outside of your house. And of course, inside your house, you want to still kind of, um, hold on to the values that you've tried to bring your kids up with. And, and those don't change because, you know, we know how collegiate athletic athletics goes. It's, um, not necessarily the most stable of <laughs> environments. So, yeah. So you, you know, uh, you just want to put yourself in the position to have as many choices um, as you can. And um, also just, you know, we think that working hard and doing your best is something that is a good idea. I'm sure most parents would agree. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I know I, my kids are all really young, but I'm, I'm in the boat where I'm like trying to keep them in as minimal things as possible for as long as possible, because I know that, those commitments as they get older just get to be a lot <laughs> you know like and I will tell you Lindsay that the key here's the key change I know you're right in the thick of this yeah the sea the change is when you're like okay we'll take the swimming lesson at 11 mm. and then we'll take the dance lesson at 4 30 because that works with my schedule and uh-huh. then you move to the point where they just are like practice at five and yep. you're like what <laughs> you <laughs> that's know? that's and when that, you have to be there what's and once and once that change happens, you're in it to win it or not because it's uh, because be, but I I miss those days where you're like well I can be selective let's just do this one you know yeah and, uh, that's not that's not the way it is now I definitely um, you know just a random word you're not asking this question but I'm gonna, sure so there's a lot of discussion about specialization in college in high school sports or even earlier and as a person with a lot of sports growing up I'm definitely in favor of that um, as much as possible my kids play a lot of sports up through middle school. Um, but there's also, I think, uh, soccer is, I think, a good sport in that you do a lot of different types of movement. It requires endurance, requires speed, requires lateral movement, requires, you know, jumping and, you know, like there's a requires skill. And a lot of things that you do require a lot of time to get good at them if you want to do that. And having a, a goal or two and wanting to pursue them and see if you can achieve that goal, I don't think is a bad thing. And sometimes that requires some, some you know, concentration of your efforts if you because you don't have more than 24 hours in a day. Um, I don't think that's bad as long as you're paying attention to the overall health of the situation. Uh, but I do think that 
for the aspiring runners out there, there's definite correlation between, you know, um, reduction in the chance of bone injuries and playing ball sports, mm. you know, growing up. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage as much of that as possible, particularly if you end, if you feel like your um, kids are going to end up running, I'm not saying your kids necessarily, but anybody's kids, keeping them in ball sports is definitely not only good, for, I think, for their athleticism, but good for their overall bone health, too. And um, so I think that's important. Some, and as a college coach, the story I will tell is uh, we had a girl named Katie Trotter. She and her twin sister, Amanda, both played soccer in high school up until their senior year. And they called me up. Um, we had been recruiting them and I knew I wanted them to come. And uh, they're like, should we play soccer in the fall? You know, uh, we're thinking about running cross country. And I'm like, look, play soccer. It's your last chance. Enjoy it. You know, I, your track times are good enough. I'm good. Like, you know, you don't have to have your track them speak for themselves. I don't need you to run cross country. You can run cross country when you're here. And so they ended up not playing soccer because like the te- something with the team or just something fell through. And so they came out for cross country kind of last minute. And then um, and they both did very well. And Katie ended up getting second in the footlocker nationally. And I was like the person wow. over in the corner being like, you should have played high school soccer. <laughs> wow. You know, so shows what I know. But um, but that that was kind of my perspective. Like, look. You can you can run cross country for a lot of years after this, you know. Enjoy this last season of soccer, and obviously cross country was something that they had aptitude in. But um, I think there's definite benefits to playing other sports when you can. Yeah, and I like that message too. It's it's again you're in it for the long haul instead of a quick like let's get good at this really fast kind of mentality. All right, we're gonna do the end of the podcast questions, but first yep. I just want to recognize that. You've also run 13 marathons and recently got your sixth star at the Abbott World Marathon Majors. That's awfully exciting. Look at you on Instagram reading stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be four. I can't remember. I, I Was it 14? Recount. It might have been 14. I can't remember. It's been a while now. If you had to pick one major, I've only done three and they're all the ones in the U.S., but I'm, mm, not, yes. I'm not the best traveler. But if you had to pick one of the of the six, do you have a favorite? Okay. So <laughs> the, the New York Marathon is my favorite race event of any kind in the world followed closely by the pen relays okay so i will just preface that by saying that there's nothing to compare to new york Mm. and i'm not sam grotewald has not sponsored this this (laughs) segment um but uh what a treat it is to have the excuse to experience some marathons in some different countries it is such an interesting way to go about it so in addition to those i've done some i did a, a midnight race in uh madrid last year San Silvestre, uh, that was so cool. And uh, the Paris Marathon. And and sometimes considering like the prices of staying in Boston on a marathon. Oh weekend, my gosh, you know, these, right? These are more, these are more uh, economically feasible. But um, it's such a treat to be able to see other places like that. So I definitely recommend it. Each of those had really special memories for each of those, those farther flung ones. But New York Marathon is definitely my favorite race. I just ran New York for the first time and yeah, yeah, it kind of blew me away. I, you know, I've done Boston several times and I mm-hmm. kind of thought it might be similar to that experience, but, um, I gotta say New York knows what's, what's up. Yeah. It's just, a, um, yeah. I mean, Boston, obviously again, a totally special, mm-hmm. uh, experience. My last year doing Boston was the, the year of the bombing mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm actually entered for this year. I'm kind of figuring out whether or not I'm actually going to do it. But that I, I just haven't felt the need to go back um, since that year. Yeah. But 
Boston, of course, is like is you know so historic and sure. has all that stuff. Just I don't know something about New York, just the the different neighborhoods, mm-hmm. the energy in Brooklyn, especially. Oh yeah, and um, just the whole just the whole vibe, just uh, was as has been the times I've done it very memorable. Yeah, I was super scared about the hills and the bridges, but the crowds just like totally blew me away so much that it really took my mind off of that. Yeah, except for when you're on the Queensboro Bridge and all of a sudden you're just like quiet. I was so That's all you can hear is your breath. I was so That's prepared so for breath. it though that I was oh, like good. like cuz friends had told me so I was like yeah. okay. Like I knew it was coming. I knew what it would be like and I mm-hmm. was like you will recover from this. You need to just get to the top and move on with your life. <laughs> yeah. The other tough part is going into the, you know, in this Central Park or, you know, oh. coming along those streets out of um, yes. you know, Going, get, trying to get to 89th you're like how come there's so many streets yeah like, why, do I, why are all these streets yeah what what is this i get feel rid like of let's just skip about 10 of these right here and you're so close <laughs> at that point and nobody too. told me it was so this was such an uphill yes fifth avenue oh my gosh yeah um all right dina well what is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet professionally or personally wow yeah that is a tough one i um some year I'd like to win Club Nats as a team. How about that? I like it. It's good. Yeah. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? I will say as a coach or as an athlete, as a as a coach, which is, I think is why, why you're talking to me, I would say winning the 2004 Penn Relays 4x15 mm. with Stanford. We had my freshman year, Finn took us back there and we were unprepared and took second to last and it was rough. My senior year, we lost that race by, we led pretty much the whole race, except for um, just the last 40 meters, lost to Colorado. And that was rough because we were so close and Stanford had never won a wheel. So in 2004, we still had not won a wheel and we'd been second in those. There's a lot of Shalane beating us. There's a lot of like, you know, things like that in in some of those early 2000 years. That's for a different podcast called. (laughs) <laughs> maybe called maybe called Lauren Fleshman and Dina re- recount the pen relays something like that. Um, but uh, in 2004 uh, we had the situation where um, so Ariana Lambie who was a freshman at that time and doing great had led off in our DMR the day before and we thought that we had a good chance of of contending for that and first like she fell straight down right off the line you know and then um you know, and then immediately had to make up ground. I think ended up running like 319 or something very good. And then um, passed off. We just, we just, we just didn't do it. And, um, but, you know, and she'd kind of fallen. It was like, oh, shell shocked. And it was a, kind of a decision to whether or not she would anchor or Sarah would anchor. And Sarah, I think, would admit that that, that DMR mile wasn't her best outing. Sarah. And she also is in the thing that finally switched it is she's also really good from behind, like a good hunter, mm. you know. Um, and so we kind of set up our team in a way that she would probably have a little bit of hunting to do. And, and it worked out great in part, we put Ari on the end and, uh, Sarah third, we had, uh, Katie Hotchkiss, Katie Fall now, um, on second and Katie Trotter on the first leg and everybody did their jobs. And there was a point then the other teams, Providence and Georgetown that we we're particularly concerned about sent uh, their strongest legs to the second leg, which had anticipated and knew we had to weather. And the team did great. 
And there was just this point in the second. And, and so the first lap that Ariana got the baton, she, the, everybody went, or she and the other woman in front of her went out pretty quickly. And, and then she, so she kind of caught up and sat for a lap. And I remember her looking over at me. I was right under like the kind of the scoreboard, the top of the turn of pen relays. And I remember her looking over at me and kind of being like, should I go? And I remember just saying, I'm not very loud. Anybody can attest, you know, but I, you know, I was like kind of whenever you want. And so she waited like another hundred yards and then just like blasted like this last 600. And so much so that she gained so much ground the first time. I'm like, oh no, she got too much too early. But so that was 2004, harking back to us being next to last in 1993. And um, I couldn't even look. Like I turned around, like the la- like when she was passing, like the la- passing like the last lap. I just was like, I turned, I turned my back. I was like, <laughs> I, I just, I, I can't, I just don't even want to know what's going to happen here. I was like so nervous. And I remember seeing Larry Rawson, who's you know famous for announcing all these things, and he was standing right behind me as I turned around. He was kind of looking at me like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> He's mm-hmm. like, I'm like, I just can't watch. I can't watch. Anyway, um, and she came across first, and uh, and then you know that was our first wheel that Stanford had won on the women's side, and the first of many that were to come over the years to come. And I just remember like blubbering in the press conference. I remember like Walt Murphy looking at me again, like, "What's wrong with you? Like, why is this such a big deal?" For whatever reason, that was just like a super resonant moment for me as a coach, kind of like a full circle thing, and just super happy, you know, as a rah rah thing as a Stanford person. Um, and was just uh, just super happy for all of them because a lot of them had a lot of experience, um, both in high school and college at Penn Relays, and it was um, really an experience. But that's that's not somebody else's dream, but that was just a, uh, something that always meant a lot to me. That is so cool. I only am sad because I'm wondering, is there any pictures of like your reaction to the whole thing? Because that would be so good. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, there is footage. I think our his dad, he's, he's got every year around this time, somebody posts it or, you know, it's every year in April, it seems like somebody posts it on Facebook. Um, but yeah, there's, I don't think that I, I sure hope there's no close-ups to me and I sure hope there's no footage of me in the press conference, just, like <laughs> blabbering like an idiot. Like, <laughs> no, just, I just like, wow. Okay. I guess that, this was like, <laughs> that's the difference between 2019 and 2004 though. It's like, it would be everywhere. And Dina Evans reaction, you know, like, no, hopefully not. Like I said, I was just like, uh, yeah. Anyway. Oh, that's now that's out there. I'm telling it to you, Lindsay, and it's out there in the, uh, the internet. We can recreate it. No, I, I love hearing that story because I think it's so cool that one of the proudest moments is, is seeing your team accomplish that. And that's, that's just really special. Yeah. All right, Dina, last question. What is one yep. one message you'd like to send to the world? Look after each other. I love that. Thank you so much for... Thank you, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you for taking your time to do this. And um, I'm excited to to uh, to follow you and what you're doing. And uh, thank you to Mimi for connecting us. Yes. Awesome. We'll have a really great rest of your day. Yes, you too. Thanks, Lindsay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Dina, for coming on the podcast. You can find Dina on Instagram. She is D-I-Z-N-E-E-N-A. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. We also have a group as well over there. And we just picked our book club back up. 
My intern, Emma Beaner, is heading that up. She's also heading up a lot of social media things these days. So I just want to give her a quick shout out for being such a great support person of this podcast. All right. Don't forget to go to another.aftershocks.com and use the code another to get $50 toward an endurance bundle. And Inside Tracker is having their huge, huge Black Friday promo this weekend. You can get $200 off their ultimate test, which is just a massive deal. Use the code CHEERS, all have another, all caps, no apostrophe, no spaces, to get $200 off their ultimate test, which is their most comprehensive and best-selling test. All right, friends, I hope you've had a wonderful Thanksgiving and hope you have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.